Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. A hundred years ago, a massive schism developed within American Protestantism. It was precipitated largely by this man. That is Charles Darwin. His book, Origin of Species, and his accompanying theories of evolution and natural selection drove a wedge between competing groups at America's largest and most prestigious seminary, Princeton. And it spread from there to the Presbyterians and to the Lutherans and to the Baptists, to everyone. The public state and stage for this schism was the Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee in the summer of 1925. This is John Scopes. He was a high school science teacher with a geology degree. degree. And he was accused of violating Tennessee educational law. A law that strictly prohibited any teacher from instructing children in the theories of Darwin or promoting evolution or straying from teaching a literal seven-day creation as described in the book of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. William Jennings Bryant, a three-time presidential candidate, lawyer, former Secretary of State and Presbyterian churchman, was the prosecuting attorney against Scopes passionately defending the Bible, declaring that all human knowledge was subject to a literal reading and application of God's Word. The trial lasted eight days under the hot Tennessee sun. Literally under the sun. Because the trial had to be moved out underneath the courthouse trees because the crowds were so large and the heat was so oppressive. Eight days of trial... And the jury deliberated for nine minutes. Guilty as charged. The case went on appeal to the Tennessee Supreme Court. Who overturned Scopes' fine of $100. On technical grounds. But upheld his conviction. And this touched off a legal, cultural and religious battle. That honestly continues until today. A century later. Using the vernacular of 1925, it was and is between the fundamentalist on one side and the modernist on the other. The fundamentalist said this, all necessary truth comes from the Bible. And if it isn't found specifically in the Bible, a truth claim must be held up against the Scriptures for verification. They further stated that there are a key number of fundamentals from which they drew their name. There are some key fundamentals that you must believe or you cannot call yourself a Christian. Number one, 
the inerrancy of Scripture, that is, the Bible is incapable of making a mistake. Two, the virgin birth of Jesus. Three, the atoning substitutionary death of Jesus for your sin. Four, the bodily erection of Jesus. And five, the historical acceptance of all the Bible's miracles. Give these up and you give up on the faith. Here's a popular cartoon of the period that appeared in the New York Times and in other places. It's called The Descent of the Modernist, A Slippery Slope. You'll see him here. He starts out with Christianity, then the Bible's not infallible. And then he keeps working his way down to no miracles, no deity, no atonement, no resurrection, agnostic. Finally, he's an atheist. He starts as a good churchman at the top. He looks like John Scopes in the middle, and he looks like Sigmund Freud by the time he gets to the bottom. The modern approach was a little different. The modernist affirmed the Bible, affirmed the Scriptures and the saving work of Jesus But they admitted that the Bible was a product of its time. And that it was impossible for a single book to hold all knowledge or all truth. Religious claims and scientific claims had to be critiqued each on their own standing. Each speaking to their own realm of knowledge. And plus, modernists said, you can't be fiddling with the educational system to impose religious conviction over scientific Discovery. I'm telling you folks, there's nothing new under the sun. This battle has been going on for a hundred years. Enter into this controversy the Reverend Guy Smith. We don't know much about him. Even his name is about as ambiguous as you can get. Guy Smith. We do know he was from Springfield, Missouri. We do know that he was a traveling evangelist. We do know he was a fiery preacher and a poet. We do know that he was a fundamentalist who felt embattled by the modernist. In his heart of hearts, he was convinced that the modernist, this new school of thinking, ready to embrace Darwin and science and education and discovery, these people were ruining the church. They were apostates. They were heretics. They were giving up on the old time religion for a compromised, undermined version of Christianity that was just a teaching for itchy ears. They had aligned themselves with the world and had become allies in destroying God's one true church. So he wrote a song about it. And we just sang it. The Great Speckled Bird. Words by Smith, put to a common English folk tune. Those of you who know your music know that's also a tune that Hank Williams used. It's also the the song that Hank Lachlan used, uh, The Wild Side of Life, to which Kitty responded, it wasn't God who made honky-tonk angels. They're all using that same old English tune. But it seems like Guy Smith brought it into the American imagination. I heard Roy Acuff, you just saw the slide, sing it on the Grand Old Opry, one of his first hits way back in 1938. Everybody has covered it since. I think personally that Lucinda Williams' version of the song might be the best one. Guy Smith equated the church, his church, with a great spotted bird, maybe a falcon, mentioned one time in the Bible. In Jeremiah 
chapter 12. There, that one beautiful bird is under attack from all the other birds that has surrounded it. An excerpt from Jeremiah 12. Smith uses Jeremiah's words as his own. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? The wicked being the modernists. Why are those who deal in treachery at ease? You have planted them, they have taken root, they grow, they have produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their mind. And then God answers Jeremiah, and in Guy Smith's thinking, Guy Smith, my people are like a great speckled bird to me. Other birds of prey have come against her on every side. Now, this was just the most perfect text lifted almost criminally out of context that I don't have time for today. For a group of Christians who felt under attack. It was perfect for a church that felt they were the true representatives of God's movement here on earth. Stanza 2 of the great speckled bird. All the other birds they gather around her. She is despised by the squad. But the great speckled bird in the Bible is one with the great church of God. And there are about 40 different verses to this song. I mean, Guy Smith was grinding an axe here. And here are a couple verses that we did not sing today. All the other churches are against her. They envy her glory and fame. They hate her because she is chosen and has not denied Jesus' name. Desiring to lower her standard, they watch every move that she makes. They long to find fault with her teachings, but they really can find no mistakes. Motivation for a church under social and theological siege. It especially works if you think that you and your group have all the answers. It especially works if you and yours are the one pure church. If you and yours are doing it, you know, the way that Jesus did it. While everyone else is wandering into error and stumbling just as fast as they can to get to hell. Another well-worn story. And you know it. A man dies and he goes to heaven. And St. Peter meets him at the gate. St. Peter says to him, I'm here to escort you to your new mansion, your new home in heaven. The man is so delighted. They start walking down Glory Land Road on the gold streets of heaven. And they come to this house, this massive mansion. And there is a house party going on. And the man says, what in heaven's name is that? What is going on there? And Peter says, oh, those are the Methodists. And they are so excited to be here. And they party like this all the time. Okay. They get a little further down the road. Another big house, another big party. The man says, and who is that? And Simon Peter says, oh, that's the Catholics. You cannot believe how excited they are to discover there was no purgatory at all. <laughs> and here they are. They party like this all the time. They move on down the road man sees another big house coming up with another big party. And Simon Peter motions to him. And they get down on all fours. And they crawl by in the bushes. 
And they come out the other side, and the man says to Simon Peter, what was that all about? And Simon Peter says, that's the Presbyterians, and they think they're the only ones here. And you, you can substitute whatever religious group you want to on that one. Speckled bird or not, true church of God or not, doing it the way Jesus did it or not, restorationist, reformers, Catholic, Orthodox, first church of the holy rollers with fire and signs following, I don't care. No one church, no one church has a monopoly on all things truthful. No one denomination or non-denomination is completely accurate in their spiritual search or their doctrinal content. No single religion, for that matter, has this bulletproof, boilerplated template that works for all people at all times and all places. We are all just striving to do better, attempting to be healthier, trying to walk more consistent in the way of Jesus and faithful to the God of our understanding. In the words of Paul, we are all pressing on toward what is ahead. And if we're doing that, the pressing on part, we don't have much time left to police other groups or to fight every theological battle or to play victim in today's cultural war. I had a conversation years and years ago with Jeff Miller. Jeff, his wife, and his family own and operate the three Perfect Pig restaurants here in South Walton. And at the time of our conversation, he was a restaurateur and he was pastor of the Seaside Chapel, or at least the congregation that used to meet at the Seaside Chapel as multiple manifestations of congregations have come out of that place over the years. It was a conversation where he was recruiting me to come work with him as associate minister at the Seaside Chapel. I was not interested. I had left the pastorate and I had no intention of ever returning. (laughs) Laugh, go ahead. I came here in the winter of 2004-2005 and met with the search committee for the Habitat for Humanity of Walton County. And we sat at Vintage Boutique at their original location in Miramar Beach, and they peppered me with questions. And when we got near the end, Jay Gates, God lover, looked at me and said, you know, looking at your resume, you have a whole lot of pastoral experience. Do you think you would ever go back and pastor a church again? And if you want to hear God laugh, I said, nope, never. I'm finished. And I was. And here I was with Jeff Miller. And I told him that story, and I told him I don't want to do this again. And he said, but you're a good preacher. And I said, maybe. He said, you have more training to do this than me. I said, so what? Well, what is it that keeps you from coming back to this work of leading a congregation? He asked me. And I could answer that one. I said, I'm done with church politics. I can't stand how complicated we have made faith and faith gatherings and church. I am not going to fight one more time over the role of women or argue about the color of the carpet again. I can't function in an environment that is small-minded, that is without imagination, that is without eagerness to grow and to explore. I can't be part of a church 
that is narrow-minded, that intentionally hurts people, whole groups of people over gender or sexuality or race or, ge- or nationality. I was simply not interested in a great speckled bird mentality where it was us against the world. And I had all the reasons to stay away. And then Jeff asked me a question. And I don't know if he remembers it, but I do. What if you could be part of leading a congregation that was known more for what it was for than what it was against? That's a good question. That is a good question. And I hate him for it. Because without that question, I might not have come back to the church. I might not be standing here in this place. You might not be here in this place. For with that question, an entire series of events was set into motion like dominoes falling, tumbling one into the other, so that today, on this first Sunday of August, 2022, a simple faith is celebrating 15 years of keeping it simple. Here's our first Sunday. You had to bring your own lawn chair. Here's our first communion. Here's our first baptism. That young man in the middle is Bobby Rains. Here's what my family looked like 15 years ago. I took no liberties to show anyone else's family from back then. I do have the pictures, however. There might be, if I just stop here a minute and look. Hold on, taking it all in. As I count, there are five people in this room that were here at the beginning. And that's about all that's left. Scientists say that the body regenerates itself completely in seven years, and I've found that to be true of churches as well. People move away. People uh, pass away. People move on. And a congregation is a body. It is a dynamic thing. And a lot has changed since we began meeting in that surrendered bank building, now a parking lot between the Seagrove Market And the surfing deer. But we continue to press on, I hope, to be for some things rather than against some things. That we still are trying to worship God, follow Jesus, to serve our neighbor. And we take a stand, not necessarily on all the doctrinal issues but on loving and accepting all who will come, especially those who have been harmed by religion, those who have no other congregation to which they could unite, the seekers, the doubters, the suspicious, the skeptics, the deconstructionists, the rebuilders, the hurt, the healing, the exiled. This is your place. 
This is your sanctuary. This is where you can explore your place to retreat when maybe you feel like all the birds of prey have surrounded you. Not long after I launched with you this experiment, I got a call from a new magazine in town. Also celebrating its 15th year in 2022, the 30A Review. By the way, our own Aaron and John Oden are on the cover this month. But I got a call from the 30A Review. And the 30A Review was doing this story called The Spiritual Side of 30A. And I forget who I talked to. It was a pleasant conversation. We were the new thing then. And the interviewer wanted to know what we were all about. And I tried my best to stick to that worship, follow, serve mantra of ours. But I got the impression that that wasn't enough. And the interviewer pushed for a little more. And I kind of found it to be a little bit fundamentalist of this interviewer to want more about creeds or doctrines or things. And so I told her that I didn't have much of a doctrinal checklist anymore. Because the older I get, and I was much younger then when I said this, the shorter and more simple this kind of list becomes, not because I don't believe anything any longer, but because the older I get, the more I learn how little I truly know. But still, if you push me to make a declaration of faith, I said to her, this is it. I'll be a fundamentalist. The highest orthodoxy. The greatest and truest belief is that God is love. Not that God shows love, not that God expresses love, not that God communicates love, not that God is capable of love. Rather, love is who God is by nature. And to believe less than that, to me, is sacrilege. And to my utter joy, the interviewer was more than satisfied with that answer. And sometimes to my heartbreak, not all of my protesting Protestant and conforming Catholic friends have agreed with me on that point over the years. Many who once journeyed with us for a long time. They believe in God's love for people like them. For people who share their convictions, like all good fundamentalists do, they were made uncomfortable as soon as that love cracked the door open a little wider. As soon as that love stretched the canopy out just a little further. As soon as that love set a place at the table for a few others. This is an affront to anyone who only wants hard answers and not squishy impossible questions who want some sort of purity over acceptance, who want fixed lines and boundaries over welcome and acceptance, love is then categorized as compromised. Open thinking becomes concession. Compassion is seen as weakness. And this is speckled bird reasoning. Us versus them. Our true church against all others. Doctrinal fixation over gracious community. Well... We are no speckled bird. I hope instead for another aviary metaphor. I hope and I pray that as a hen gathers her chicks to herself in a time of trouble, that we will welcome 
all who come, no matter who they are. All who feel on the outside, all who have been rejected, all who have been harmed by the church, all who have no other place to call home. That was our intention 15 years ago. It remains my intention today. And I hope that it will be yours as well. Our first benediction. Almighty God, may the light of your grace shine upon our hearts. Give to us and send out from us many who will be shaped after your heart. Provide us the integrity and humility to teach and speak of your great love. Give strength to the weak. Give faithfulness to the strong. Give guidance to the seeker that together we might all follow you as we press on for what lies ahead.